Welcome to episode 14 of HR Coffee Time, a podcast I created especially for you to help you have a fulfilling and successful HR career without working yourself into the ground. I'm Faye Wallace, a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR, and I'm also the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching. Now, you've probably noticed that there's been a big push for HR and the people profession to use data analytics to help drive business decisions. But if you're anything like me, you may feel a little nervous about the best way of doing this. I'm definitely more of a words person than a figures person. So although I can look at numbers and data, it isn't a skill set that I feel is one of my strengths or that I feel particularly confident about. But luckily for you and for me, people like the wonderful Melissa Blissett exist and are here to make our lives much easier. She is my first guest out of hopefully several I've invited onto the show to help demystify data analytics and explain how and when we can use them effectively to really help us impress others for our careers and to move our careers forward, to really feel that we're having an impact and making positive changes in the organisations that we work for. Melissa is a financial wellbeing expert and she's recently spearheaded a project at the company she works for to create a tool that helps analyse pay gap data. So whether you work in an organisation that has to report your gender pay gap data or not, I'd really encourage you to listen to this whole episode because Melissa shares so many brilliant insights into why we should care about gender pay gap reporting and what you can do to interpret and act on your results to drive the organisation that you work for forwards and make real positive change. If you haven't had responsibility for gender pay gap reporting before, I'll just quickly explain what it is. So, it's the difference between the average earnings of men and women across a workforce. And legally, there are only six figures that you have to report on, which are the pay gaps that exist for hourly pay and bonus pay. So it's not actually that much data that you have to put forward. And although it definitely shines a light on whether you have a pay gap or not, which can be a big shock in some cases, It is a really blunt tool. It doesn't give a huge amount of insight into why you have a pay gap or what you should do about it. So let's hear from Melissa, who's here to take us by the hand and show us the way forward. Unusually, I actually have Melissa sitting right here next to me, which is wonderful. Normally, all of these guest episodes are recorded through video conferencing software, but Melissa's driven all the way here to my home office. So it's (laughs) lovely to have you here, Melissa. Oh no, thank you for having me Faye, it's lovely to be here too and lovely to meet Cookie who's (laughs) sitting on my lap. (laughs) Yeah, so my tiny pet dog Cookie is now officially in love with Melissa and won't leave her alone. (laughs) So it's the first episode we've had where Cookie is present too, so hopefully she's going to behave herself. So it would be wonderful if we could just start off by hearing a little bit about you and who you are Melissa. Yes, so I suppose my background has always been in financial planning, which has been predominantly focused around pensions. 
But that led me to realise that pensions was really only one part of the financial jigsaw. And so in the past few years, I've been focusing my attention on financial well-being. And really, that's then driven a passion for me into the specifics of financial well-being for women and the pay gap. So as a result of that kind of particular interest, I've I've now established uh, pay gap analytics at Barnet Waddingham and we're helping organisations understand how they can use those analytics to understand their pay gap better and really the fundamental underlying reasons behind it. Wonderful. Oh, thanks so much. It's brilliant to have all of that background. And before we dive into the interview in real detail, could we just start off with the basics? So for anyone who's listening who might not have had to be involved in gender pay gap reporting before, Mm -hmm. particularly if they're in a smaller organisation, could you just explain what is gender pay gap reporting? Yes, so it's only legislative if you've got more than 250 employees. But that said, if you're listening and you have less than 250 employees, I think the principles are still really important because it shouldn't be seen just as a tick box regulatory exercise. In fact, you're, I think, missing the point a little bit if you do look at it as as a task to be kind of ticked off and filed. It's so important about just... It's really fundamentally about making sure that the women in your workplace can progress and progress equally to men. And that's particularly important for smaller organisations, even though they don't have to report, because those women are making such a valuable contribution that if you're not capitalising on their skill set, then you're missing out on that productivity which they can deliver. So really, pay gap reporting is about this essence of progression. So it's not really about fair pay, because we've had equal pay legislation since the 1970s, so women should be being paid the same for the same job role. But it's about looking beyond that to say, can women move up through the organisation? Can they progress? And that's important for diversity at board level and where decision-making occurs. So it's that diversity of thought. And there's a lot of research to show the impact that has on, on business performance. And I know when we were talking about this, ready to prep for the podcast interview today, you also mentioned the fact that actually this isn't all just about gender. There are other pay gaps that we should really be paying attention to or be mindful of as well. Could you talk to us a little bit about those? Yeah, and that's been kind of an interesting journey for me too, because being female, it was, you know, looking at it from a women's perspective was something that I, um, you know, interested me uh, very early on. But as I've kind of developed the pay gap proposition, it's really became become clear to me that actually one unfairness shouldn't rank above other unfairnesses. So, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has been very much in the public eye and has pushed the agenda of ethnicity pay gap reporting. But there are other pay gaps as well around disability, around age... Um, CEO pay ratio which is looking at the difference in earnings between the CEO and and your average worker so there's all lots of different ways that you can fragment it and it's that kind of intersectionality I think that's probably a, a buzzword now and has become so important and I would simply describe that as one woman is not all women 
So actually, how, a, how an ethnic minority woman experiences the workplace and experiences pay and, and um, progression may be different to a white woman, or indeed, just simply looking at age. I regularly see a much higher uh, pay gap between older workers, um, affecting old, older workers. So uh, breaking it down into those different um, demographics is really important. Well, that's so interesting. I'd love to ask you about all of them. What's, where do you think this pay gap is happening with older workers? So it, it's it's definitely over the age of 40. So, uh, so the ONS Office of National Statistics have done a lot of research into the pay gap results that all organisations have produced. And they've really identified that the pay gap for women over the age of 40 is around 12%. But the problem is, is it's focused at an age where women should be stepping up to those higher paid positions and so you know when they're not they're missing out on 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 that pay jump so there's a huge issue there and I'm certainly seeing that coming out with my clients but also it's linked to age but also tenure I've really noticed so I've often seen a significant pay gap with it, with clients with employees who've been at an organization for over longer than 10 years mm. And so there's definitely questions around why is that? I remember actually, yeah. gosh, in one of my very first HR roles, I remember someone coming to me in the organisation and he said he was really unhappy because he had been there for a really long time. I think he'd joined when he was quite young and worked his way up. And he'd realised that although he was at a fairly senior level, his salary was significantly lower than people who were coming into the organisation oh, at the same level. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be that actually sort of pay increases weren't matching in any way, shape or form mm. the salaries that the organisation was paying to people who they had to bring in as external talent into the, into the business. So... Yeah, I can and, see do you, how that and do you want to lose that talent? Mm. And should that person leave that company just to get a pay rise? It just doesn't make sense, does it? But it's that importance of without having that data and that insight, it's hard to know where these discrepancies lie. Um, which is why, for me, it's so important to go beyond mandatory pay gap data. In fact, some of the research that I did before I, I started um, this proposition looked into what HR people felt about um, gender pay gap reporting and I was astonished to find that 61% of HR professionals thought that actually the pay gap mandatory reporting produced meaningless results mm. um, but then what was interesting was that people it, it, it didn't feel that it was not worth doing they just felt that what was needed was to do that deeper dive and so that's that's certainly something that I found. That makes yeah. complete sense because it's quite yeah. a blunt instrument yeah. at the moment, isn't it? There's only really mm. a few things that you have to report on. Mm. And I can see that if you don't start digging down into the detail, mm. it's hard to understand why you're getting those results. And it's kind of then without doing that deeper level of insight, it's almost like looking for a needle in the haystack. Okay, you've got your figure of what your pay gap is across the organisation, but where is that lying? which cohorts is that in you know is it particular teams is there an issue with certain line managers and and you know um discriminatory uh decisions being made or you know what is it so 
do it without doing that deeper analysis i think it's hard for an organization to really understand why they've got a pay gap and without understanding that it's difficult to then tackle it in the right way which i suppose is why you've created this new tool so it would be great yeah. to hear a little bit more about it and sort of understand how it does that deep dive yeah i mean we would benchmark um organizations against their own competitors and that's important from a wider HR perspective of talent management. So, you know, if you're if you're losing <clears throat> your people to other organisations, potentially, certainly from a female perspective and also a male perspective, you know, pay gap could be an influencing factor. So it's understanding how you look against mm. your competitors, how you look against ONS data, and then breaking it down in, into those categories like age, tenure, ethnicity. So, for example, we look at the pay gap between different ethnicities. So what is the pay gap between men and women within each ethnicity? And that can be really interesting as well. But there are a lot of nuances. You do need to take care when you're doing it. So the first thing that I would always look at is what's the size of the population that you're looking at? So you might think there's a massive gap here. But then when you look at the number of employees it relates to, it might be that there's only three employees within that category. And so then you need to take a broader eye. So do the analysis, but be mindful as you're, as you're doing it. But I think for me, probably some client examples are what some of my clients have found really helpful to do is by segmenting by division or um, cost centre, they've been then able to devolve that responsibility for the pay gap to those specific areas of the business, which I think, you know, is, is really interesting for me to see and an interesting, I suppose, action point that other people might, might want to follow. And I remember when we were talking before, you mentioned that you take this DNA approach. Could you explain what your DNA analogy means? So at Barnet Waddingham, we talk about your organisational DNA. What's the data behind your organisation? And taking a very data-led, evidence-based approach to HR. I suppose historically in the past, sometimes it's been a sense of, oh, you know, we think employees might like this, or this is a great idea, but it, it's, it's trying to put that data analysis behind the decision-making to, to make sure it's, it's thorough and effective. But for me, I use the DNA as a bit of a, an acronym, really, for when you're looking at pay gap reporting to look at data, your narrative, and then your action planning. And for me, if you do that deeper level of analysis, then your narrative becomes far more powerful. So rather than being a situation when you're, I see a lot of pay gap narratives kind of apologising for the fact there's a pay gap, there's a lot of work to be done and moving forward. But actually, if you can explain rather than apologise, then I think that's so much more powerful. Um, and when you're collecting data, I would overlay the, the pay gap data with employee insights. So you've got those two qualitative and quantitative bits of insight added together. Again, you can use in your narrative. So you might say that, you know, you're, you think you offer fair pay and fair progression, etc. But if you've then got the employee insight to back you up, then that's a lot more powerful than, than, for example, I often see a few case studies pulled out of, oh, here's Emma Smith and look how she's progressed. And I always think, well, that's just one person. You know, what, what, what is it like for the rest of the organisation? And so then all of that then pulls through into your action planning. So by having that employee insight as well, your action planning can be really focused. 
and I think a lot of people fall down by f by falling into this trap of doing generic things that everyone else is doing um, and it's great to sign up for various different initiatives and things like that uh, and that's a good thing to do but you need to listen to what's really going on in your organisation so are women for example taking on more of a burden of the housekeeping in the office does that mean that they've got less time therefore to invest in the sales how is work being distributed is that is that fair do people feel it's fair how are special projects distributed do men have more time to sit on committees and do extra research or write books you know and so when you're assessing for um, promotions what is it that you're looking for you know do you want someone with the highest technical expertise or actually are there wider qualities so really hearing the experience of your women and what might be painful to hear what's held them back but equally also what's really benefited them like you know managers who have set meeting times that's a more appropriate hour of the day than 9am and things like that you know you can learn a lot um, and I think that can really actually make quite a difference to your action planning on the ground and that really focuses it to your own organisation. Yeah, they're brilliant points and it makes me think actually of episode 12 where Sally Dillon was guest and she specialises in supporting women returning to work and mm. also in making sure you've got family-friendly policies in place within your organisation as well. When you mentioned, actually, you see this pay gap really taking effect when women hit their 40s, I thought, gosh, yes, I suppose for a lot of women, that may be when they have got young children and you have then got that juggle, which mm. you and I have both experienced Absolutely. personally, of trying to have a mm. career and also making sure that you're present and feel mm. like you're doing a good job as a parent as well. So... For anyone listening now, if you haven't already listened to episode 12 with Sally, I think you might find that a really interesting and relevant episode to listen to once you've finished listening to this one. And I think that's a really great point. And the thing about, for me, for pay gap um, reporting is that it's not just an isolated exercise to be done and then marked off for the next year. It, as you say, Faye, links in jigsaws into all these other HR decisions around recruitment, returners to work, all of these different things all kind of piece together and whilst it can sometimes be uh, feel a bit overwhelming to kind of pull all, all of these things together I think it is really important to start thinking about the wider picture. Yes, I wonder if, do you think legislation is going to come in around ethnicity pay gap reporting as well? It would be surprising if it didn't, because apart from anything else, the message it's sending is that gender pay gap reporting is important, but ethnicity pay gap isn't. It would be, you know, for, for me, that's what it certainly feels like at the moment. There have been debates most recently on the 25th of October in the House of Lords around it. And whilst there are a lot of people pushing for this, the CBI are focused on it, the CIPD... The Equality and Human Rights Commission are obviously supporting it as well. The government response so far has been that they will respond in due course, which is difficult because it leaves organisations in this precipice of should we be doing anything or should we just sit and wait and see? 
and I suppose like most things until there's a compulsion to do something it's easy to kind of put it off but then I think you really need to be thinking about what is then the perception in the wider world of how seriously you know are you taking it and maybe you should use this time to actually start gathering your data and start looking into it so that you've got insight and time to take action before it actually before the legislation actually hits. When you're doing that analysis is part of it also looking at background as well? It can do and it should do um, yeah, I'm looking at kind of socio-economic background and the kind of social mobility is important because then again that plays into the kind of recruitment process and how how do you seek out talent, how do you measure talent and yeah looking at qualifications so it's again it's, it's kind of moving away and that's why your narrative is so important because if you just look at your headline pay gap well, someone can just write a, you know, some newspaper flash of, oh, this is appalling, you've got an X percent pay gap. But it's about understanding what's behind that. And it might not necessarily be wrong. It Because you've got a pay gap doesn't necessarily mean that you're not supporting women or that you're acting discriminatory. But you need to be able to explain that. Yeah, it makes me think of another episode as well, actually. It's one of my earliest ones. I think it was episode four with Lola Bejaday, and she really touched on this whole aspect of socio-economic backgrounds and how important it is to be aware of that and account for it when you're thinking of the talents in your organisation. Yeah, so um, to your point, Faye, about other things that you can you should be measuring and looking at taking it back to a, a gap perspective what I have been looking at as well is the pensions gap so okay you've got a pay gap but what about your pensions gap and then looking at your benefits from a more inclusive perspective so do you have your stats on your benefit who is it who's taking out these benefits and more importantly perhaps who isn't so have you got a cohort of people who can't afford to take out the healthcare benefits and then for example then you need to look at the impact what's the impact of running a pay gap or a pension gap or a benefits gap what's the impact on the organization in terms of succession planning if people can't afford to retire they're going to carry on working for you you might not want that and what's the impact personally so obviously you know going back to my roots I would really want to look at what is the financial well-being impact across your organisation and measuring that you know something that we would do as well to put a line in the sand I think it's so important when you're producing investment in time and initiatives to measure where you're at understand what is the financial well-being of your workforce see whether the pay gap's influencing that and understand the impact because as we all know having lived through the pandemic well-being or lack of it can result in a huge cost in terms of absence and health and cost of dealing with health issues. Mm -hmm. And so coming back again to your acronym of DNA, so we've done D, which is the data, N, which is the narrative, and the fact that doing this deep dive can really help you to then come up with a compelling and truthful narrative as mm. to why mm. that gap exists and what you're going to do. So I guess that brings us along to the A of your DNA, mm -hmm. which is, I think, all about action planning. 
Yeah, so again, it's just following that process of what you learnt in the data to action plan effectively, don't be generic, respond to actually what your workforce are telling you and make it specific to your organisation and and also look at modelling. Well, if we did X and we solved this problem for this age category or this salary band, what would then the impact be? How would that reduce the pay gap so that you can prioritise your actions as an HR person when you know, you've clearly got budget issues to work within? It will help you prioritise, OK, what's the most effective thing for us to focus on? And I know this might be a hard thing to answer, especially, as you've said, how important it is really that each organisation's approach and solutions that they come up with for this whatever their action plan is that it's unique to that organization are you able to share any examples of organizations who you think have done this well and obviously you don't need to name them (laughs) but if you've seen people approaching this in in a way that is working it would be great to hear about i think a really interesting approach that i've seen is to prepare a storybook so actually present to board level or you know your management team level stories from women in your workplace what have been their experiences whether that's anonymous or whether that's obviously if you've identified people that's even more powerful but I think even on an anonymous basis I think that story when the board can see what impact it's having on real lives uh, can be very compelling I was talking about storytelling recently, actually. I did a, a very short talk on it earlier on in the week. And I was saying how, as humans, we've all been telling each other stories since the beginning of time. And it's one of the most powerful ways of getting across a message or forming a connection with someone else. So I absolutely love that idea. Is there anything else that you've seen that you think would be interesting to mention? Yeah, just touching back on my clients where they've devolved that responsibility to the specific teams or the specific cohorts within the business that are experiencing the pay gap to, to solve and to respond to that, I think is, is an interesting concept and it engages then with people. So it's not just a, an organisational issue, it, it brings it down more closely to each team. Yes, and I suppose then as well, I know that as HR and the people profession, you kept, well, this is how I used to feel sometimes, you feel a real responsibility that you have to be doing the work and solving the problems, but actually by laser focusing on there and realising that you can bring in (laughs) those people who are being particularly impacted by it actually it's it means the whole burden isn't falling onto you when you have an incredibly busy workload anyway and Mm. actually it's going to be so much more impactful by involving them as well and and remember just because you've got a pay gap it isn't always a bad thing so there might be a perfectly uh, acceptable reason as to why that's there but it's understanding that I think is the issue what would be a perfectly acceptable reason I mean, for example, you know, in a law firm where you've got a bank of kind of secretarial staff, it's not reasonable to expect that they're going to all become lawyers. So, you know, sometimes it's not possible to progress everyone through. But that said, if you can understand where the issues lie, you can still make sure that within the constraints that you have, people people have progressed. So... I think for me it's a bit 
in a way a bit less about necessarily pay and just about ensuring that that progression opportunity is there and importantly it's fair to everybody in the organisation, whoever they are. And then all of this advice has just been absolutely wonderful. It's so great to hear your insights. Thank you for sharing them with us. If I could just ask you one final question before we start to wrap up, that is for anyone listening to this who does work within a smaller organisation where there isn't the obligation to be reporting on mm. your pay gap, what sort of advice would you give to them? Because I know when we talked about this before, you pointed out that actually for a lot of organisations, they shouldn't be trying to do the data analysis necessarily because you can't keep it anonymous if you have got small pools of employees. I think you can do it internally, <clears throat> um, but obviously if you're publishing data externally, you shouldn't be in a position where you are exposing individuals. So if you're reporting on a particular age and you've only got two women in that age bracket, you know, by process of deduction, if you know someone works there is in that age bracket, you've almost exposed their salary. So that is why there is that um, minimum requirement of 250 employees. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't do that work internally. And probably for me in smaller organisations, that data-led insight from an employee perspective would probably take priority over the pay data because the pay data can be quite skewed by, you know, the job roles, etc. So maybe start with the employee insight first and then look if your pay data backs up the stories that you're hearing oh. um, but it's still equally important because and if so I'd say more in a smaller organization because in a smaller organization everyone everyone's work really counts really makes a difference to to the outputs of the organization as a whole so it's important to know if you're getting the most out of your women and if they're getting the opportunity to give use the skill sets that they have powerful words of advice so having talked us through all of that, before I ask you how people can get in touch with you, if they would like to connect with you or learn more about your work, it would be wonderful to hear your book recommendation. <laughs> and I know this is yeah. a good one because you've yeah. already told me in advance. Well, this is a brilliant book that my lovely best friend, Serena Trowbridge, sent me a long time ago. It's called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. And it's a book about exposing data bias through statistics in a world designed for men and it's fascinating I know I quite like statistics and analytics but even for anybody who doesn't this book is so well written and so readable that I literally read it in, a, in an evening <laughs> and it's all about how the statistics that we we look at in the world show how biased just society is against women. I mean, it will probably really annoy you, but I found it a fascinating read. <laughs> I think you were saying there's something about seatbelts not being designed with women in mind. Yeah, it's like the statistics around how worse women are affected or impacted in a car accident, the statistics of how many more women suffer more serious injuries than men, and that's all around car design and... and a lot of the dummy testing is all around a male body and the seatbelt design is all around a male body. So it's 
it's looking at how the statistics show that these things are not equitable. I can imagine I'm going to feel very riled up after reading this book. <laughs> I can assure you, you will. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, not just for the book recommendation, for all the fabulous insights and expertise that you've shared. I really appreciate it. No, it's been wonderful to talk to you, Faye. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. And for anyone listening who wants to get in touch or find out more about you and your work, what's the best way of them doing that? Sure, yeah, I regularly try to post useful information on my LinkedIn post specifically around kind of pay gap thoughts and you know what's happening in legislation and so on so my LinkedIn profile Melissa Blissett at Barnet Waddingham um, or you can go onto the Barnet Waddingham's website and search for Barnet Waddingham pay gap analytics and, and that will be all the work that I do. Fantastic well thank you so much and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Great thank you Faye. I really hope that today's episode has given you some ideas to take forward. I know that pay gap analytics is just one of many topics that you might want to learn about more to help drive your HR career forward and to help you feel like you're making a real difference at work. But no matter what the other HR topics are that you'd like to focus on, I've created an HR planner to help you. It's an A4 printable calendar that's filled with exercises to help you identify your career goals and the steps that you can take to achieve them. It also has key awareness, wellbeing and inclusion dates to help spark ideas and think about when the best time to launch new initiatives might be. And it's also got a checklist of key HR tasks that you need to be aware of and also the main employment law changes that are going to be coming up for 2022. I'm putting the finishing touches to the planner at the moment. If you'd like to receive a free printable copy, you can sign up to get it as soon as it's available. And the site that you need to go to is www.subscribepage.com forward slash HR Planner 2022. And I know that's a really long URL to remember, so please don't worry, I'll add a link to it in the show notes that go with this episode. So have a great week and I'll be back again next Friday with a new HR Coffee Time episode for you.